0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2nd Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, is where we're gonna be at. We're gonna look at verses 14 through 17. This is just kind of like a one-time sermon. I was initially planning on launching our new sermon series, which is gonna start next week called Made for a Mission. I'm very excited. It's gonna be about eight weeks long when we start this series. And it is all about how you and I are made for the mission of sharing the gospel. But the reality is, at least maybe I found this and maybe I'm so far off and I'm so wrong and you guys just are amazing in this area. But one of the things I found is that a lot of Christians struggle to share the good news of what Christ has done for them, not necessarily because they don't want to, as much as they don't necessarily feel equipped. They don't feel like they have the tools to effectively share their faith with someone they care about, um, someone they love, maybe someone they're praying for. And in this sermon series, we're gonna just kinda slow down. It's gonna be extraordinarily practical. And we are just going to talk about how we share our faith. And I just want you to just imagine for a moment, how many of you have someone in your life that, that doesn't, does not know Jesus, has not experienced Jesus? You, ha- you know someone in your life and, and you'd love to see them come to know Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus. Anybody have someone in their life who has that? Now imagine for a moment that you got the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Very clearly, and by the grace of God, imagine if they came to know Christ as their Savior because you shared the gospel with them. Can I get an amen? How amazing would that be? Amen? Imagine for a moment if they asked you, hey, will you baptize me because you were just such an impact in my life and bringing me to faith. And so that would be amazing. 2022 would be, gosh, amazing to see you and i going out and sharing the gospel and and seeing people respond and so i'm really excited to start that series it's really kind of the big theme that um our leadership team feels like we're you know called to for 2022 is man may may we be able to go from this place and effectively share the gospel with those around us so i'm excited for that today um I want to preach that this is this the sermon title is this right here the most important thing to do in 2022 y'all i made it rhyme the most important thing to do in 2022 raise your hand if you set goals or if you have new year's resolutions anybody anybody a few of you raise your hand if you don't have any goals or new year's resolutions okay We got one for you tonight, guys. I'm I'm excited. I I, I don't say this lightly. I I really do feel like this right here, if there is one thing that you could do, if there's one thing that you could accomplish, if there was one habit that you were to begin, it would be this one right here. And I want to start with an illustration. A number of years ago, um, there was a book written uh, by a gentleman named Charles Duhigg, and he wrote a book um, called The Power of Habit. And uh, many of you know this, brain science these days has just made just radical progress. The things that scientists know about how our brains work and 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 how so many of our decisions and so many of our habits that we have, it is driven by what is going on in our brain. And so this book, The Power of Habit, what the author does is he kind of takes kind of recent research in brain science to point out and clarify why we do the things that we do. Why we have the habits that we have. What, what, What does it take to break a habit? What does it take to create a habit, and in this book, he comes up with a term, what he calls keystone habits. Everybody say, say, keystone habits. habits. Key, now say it like you mean it. Keystone yes. habits. Okay, so keystone habits, he points out, this is very interesting to me. Keystone habits are a, 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 a habit that is so significant, that it is so important, that it begins to have this domino effect in the rest of the areas of your life. It's a single habit that changes dramatically different parts of the rest of your life. And and he takes this term from an architecture term, a a keystone. Maybe some of you know this. I did not. So imagine an arched doorway that is made of bricks now at the very center is going to be a brick that is called the keystone in this arc now what's interesting is this this brick at the top of the arch here holds the least amount of weight but if you take that one keystone brick out the whole thing falls apart and it's this idea of there are certain habits that change and hold together and, and create momentum in different areas of your life. So let me just mention a few, and then I'm going to talk about the most important one. Now, probably the, the one that is referred to as most as a keystone habit is exercise. So exercise, Duhigg writes this in his book. He says, exercise triggers people to start eating better. He says, it adds um, that, that people who have exercised have increased patience, less stress, and more productivity at work. Um, how about this one? This is a good one. Those of you who have kids, gathering your family around the dinner table on a regular basis is a keystone habit. It has this multiplying effect in other areas of our life. And it says, he says this, um, having a family dinner around the table every night, it may seem small, but it is a significant impact. Families who habitually eat together seem to raise children with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. Uh, This is a very interesting one here. How many of you make your bed in the morning? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Okay, you're going to like this. The rest of you, I need you to listen very carefully. It says this. Making your bed is correlated with increased productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and better budgeting skills. Duhigg writes this. Bed makers are also more likely to like their jobs. So if you don't like your job, guys, just make your bed. Seriously. It's really not that hard. Um, they own a home and uh, Exercise regularly and they and they feel well rested. Isn't that really interesting? I, I, I've actually read this in a number of different places and they talk about how in the military it's so important to make your bed and keep your place all tidy. That's a big deal and this is one of the reasons why. Here's the last one. Um, the, the keystone habit of routines. Just having a routine, whether it's a morning routine or a bedtime routine, whether it's getting to bed at the same time every night or following a regular morning routine, having consistency in your day produces a cascade of positive effects. The way we organize our thoughts and, and work routines has enormous impacts on our health, productivity, financial security, and happiness. These are these keystone habits. You do something as simple as create the habit to exercise. It has this cascading effect to the way that you eat, the way that you sleep, and apparently how well you do in work. Or you have this keystone habit of just make your bed, and all of a sudden it has this cascading effect of these other areas of positive benefit. Tonight, I want to talk to you about And this is not an exaggeration. I wonder if it is the most important, the most significant keystone habit for you and I. And it's this right here. Reading God's word every single day. I believe that this is one of those habits that if you do... Every single day. By the way, it takes anywhere. I I, I heard this in a podcast. I'm going to definitely mess it up. But the first number is 21 days. It takes at least 21 days. Sometimes it takes up to like 128 days for that habit to get created. So just, you know, get through a quarter of the year and you're there, right? But if you read God's Word each day, I promise you, it is this kind of keystone habit that it will change and transform your marriage. It will give you greater wisdom and knowledge and insight in your parenting. It will affect your attitude for the better, obviously, It will open your eyes and reveal you to the false beliefs you have about yourself, about others, and point you, remind you, and guide you into the person God has called you to be. It is this keystone habit that will change literally every single area of your life. And I just wanted to start the new year with a message from God's Word on really just six reasons why you and I should be in God's Word each and every day. And and the reason I got six is because that's how many I count in this very brief passage that we have here. And my hope is is really an inspiration moment. My hope is to inspire you, excite you, compel you to be in God's Word every single day for the rest of this year. Imagine, would there be a more significant achievement you had if you were in God's Word 365 days out of the year? Maybe you want to push the envelope and maybe you, you set that goal and you say, you know what, not only am I going to be in God's word each and every day, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Imagine if you did that. My grandfather, for the last 22 years of his life, he read through the Bible every single year. And it changed him. I'm one of the younger grandchildren. I've got quite a few more um, cousins that are older than me. And it's funny because after my grandfather passed away, I started hearing all of these stories about my grandfather that didn't really sound like my grandfather. They're like, you know, pre getting saved or immature grandpa is w- w- what it was. And, and there, was, there was, you know, my mom's listening to this listening to this on podcast later on this week so you gotta be careful what I say but there was just some stories where I'm like grandpa really that's not the grandpa I knew you want to know why because the grandpa I knew was the grandpa who was already about 10 years into his reading through the bible every single year And so if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And I just want to give you, I count six reasons why you and I should be in God's word every single day. Now, Paul is the author of 2 Timothy. This is actually the very last letter that we have of the apostle Paul. Now, he he certainly wrote more letters than we have collected here in the New Testament. So he wrote Romans all the way to Philemon, all those books in there. They're all written by Paul. And Paul is um, in prison for the at least second time here in Rome, and he knows that he's on death row. You, You read the letter, and he starts using language like you know what, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, it's, it's time for me. And he's writing to a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was his protege. Timothy was his disciple. He was so close, so tight-knit with Timothy that he even calls Timothy his son over and over and over again. And Timothy is now a pastor. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, basically trying to pour out every ounce of knowledge, wisdom, insight that he has to this young man. And here in the third chapter, and it's four chapters total, getting to the very end, Paul saves, oh, what I would wonder is the best for last. And he starts talking and compelling Timothy to be in God's Word, and and what might happen if, if he is. And so he says in verse 14, But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. We'll come back to that. We're going to save that verse for the end of the message. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scripture. So he's talking about God's word. The sacred scriptures is God's word. So Timothy, it's hard to know exactly how old he is here. Maybe he's probably in his 30s or so. Um, and... And and so he's been acquainted with God's Word since a child. And he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Reason number one why you and I should be in God's Word every single day is this. It will make you wise for salvation. It will grow your wisdom, knowledge, and insight in the tremendous salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. I went to Christian school by God's grace for part of my elementary, middle school, high school education. I went and got a degree in Christian theology. I became a pastor. I've gone to seminary. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of the beauty of the salvation we have in Christ. It's not like we trust in Jesus and we're like, oh, I'm saved. That's cool. So I think I figured it out. The depth and the riches of Christ and the salvation we have in it, it just gets better and better the deeper we go. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways in which we go deeper and deeper and grow wiser and wiser in the salvation we have in Christ is through reading God's word. How many of you, you want, you want to grow in your knowledge and insight, not just intellectually in your head, but also in your heart for Christ Christ? There is few things like opening up God's Word and plumbing the depths of His love for us that we read and hear. I was just listening to a podcast um, Last night, and it was a gentleman who was sharing his story of coming to faith. He was an atheist, very well educated in college. Two of his friends became Christians. He was not happy about it, and so he said, "You know what? I'm going to argue my way out of this." And so I need to get and understand this this whole Christian thing that they decided. And so he had a Bible per chance, and he opened it up. I want to see what they're learning, and he opens it up to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he starts reading and he's up until 2 a.m. reading absolutely blown away. Here's a guy who's intellectually smarter than most people around him and he's reading the Gospels going, this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. And he ends up giving his life to the Lord. That is the power of God's word. And I don't know about you, I need that each and every single day. I I will never, ever outgrow my need for the good news of Christ Jesus. Amen? I need to be refreshed. Do you? God's Word will do that. Back to this passage. So it will make you wise for salvation. He goes on and and he says in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Literally... All scripture is God's word. Just, just contemplate that for a moment. We have the very word of God. How many times have you been like, "Oh, God, I just want you to speak to me. God, I just, will you, will you talk to me? And God's going, yeah, here, it's right here. And, and, and you know, sometimes we're like, what? not that way, right? Or like, that, you know, that takes too much time. Do we realize that we have the very Word of God right here? Um, one of the very best books I read this past year is called The Insanity of God. Very strange title, but tremendous book. And, and in it... Um, the author goes and he just goes into all of these countries and, where it's very dangerous to be a Christian and he interviews these Christians and some of them are pastors or, or missionaries and he goes specifically to China and it was at a time where it was very illegal to gather together. If they would have got caught they would have all been thrown in prison. In fact, 40% of the people who were there had been thrown in prison in previous time past and, and, and he's helping them by teaching them some things and there's about 150 pastors um and on the very last day he wakes up and he sees one of the leaders with a bible and he starts tearing chunks of the bible out and just handing it to these people and you know maybe you'd be like this i know i'd be like you know just telling my kids this like we handle the bible with some grace here like hold it here right anybody Um, and, and so he's a bit appalled, like, what are you doing ripping out the Bible here? And so he goes and talks to this leader and the leader says, oh, you need to understand that none of them have a Bible because you can't get them around here. And so I've just given each pastor a book of the Bible. And what they're going to do is they're going to bring it back to their house church. It's about 20, 30 people. And they will teach through that for the next year. Most of them will most likely memorize it. And they held this one little book, you know, not the whole book, but they were holding, you know, like the book of Esther or the book of Genesis. (laughs) One of them got Philemon. Like, yeah, if you don't know, that's like one chapter. It's like, what about the guy who got John, right? What? But they're just all holding it with this sense of awe. This is the very word of God. You want to know God's will for your life? It's right here. And may I remind us, guys, the goal here is is not to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through us. Not to just get through God's Word. Okay, I did my reading for the day. I'm done. But to get God's Word in us and through us. This is the very Word of God. Paul continues and he says, Okay, all scripture is breathed out by God. That that is all scripture is the very word of God. And he says, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, so Paul is now shifting gears and, and, and now he's getting to the point where he's not just talking about why we should read God's word, but he is teaching us what God's word will do to us. God's word will teach you. God's word will reprove you. Have you ever read God's word and you're like, oh dear, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not really doing that very well. And we call that conviction. in Anybody? Amen? Amen? Me neither. Never happens ever, right? Amen. Here's the thing about God's word that is so powerful. If we truly, deeply read God's word, what will happen is God's word will start reading us. It'll start peeling back the layers of our life. It'll rebuke us, reprove us. It will show us and reveal maybe an area of pride or arrogance or maybe some folly you're walking in. Or maybe just flat out sin that you are unrepentant in. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says... For the word of God is living and active. It, it, it literally say that, that this book is active. It is actively at work in your life. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will pierce into and divide in division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. when you read God's Word on a consistent basis, it will open your eyes to so many areas of maybe false belief that you have. Maybe it'll convict you of some things that you've been fearing that you should be walking in faith in. Maybe it'll open your eyes to the kind of parent you've been that happened to me this past week. where was like, oh, that's right, Lord. Yep, I needed that. And then I get my pen and I, and I write it down. This also, I think, is the reason why when we open up God's Word, we should have a pen and a journal right next to us to really take to heart what God is speaking to us. So we ought to read God's word because it, it is reading us. It's, it's teaching us. It's reproving us. It's correcting us. It's training us in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. That word complete is the idea is, is that you will be Perfect. There is no other book, period, that will make you more complete than God's Word. There is no book that will shape you, that will mold you into who God has called you to be, like God's Word. It is meant to make you complete. Make you into the spouse God's called you to be, the friend God's called you to be, the, the employee, the employer, the steward of your finances. This book will make you and I complete. What a great word. What an encouragement. And it's right at our fingertips. Two more. That the man of God may be complete. And then here's the, here it is. And equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. Here's what God's word will do for us. Not only will it show us who we are to be, it will teach us how to be that very picture that it gives us. It doesn't just teach you what a godly husband or wife looks like. It teaches you that. Read the the book of Proverbs. Read Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. It doesn't just teach you to be something. It teaches you how to be those things. And so some of you are like, man, I wish I had more wisdom when it came to finances. Great God's word will equip you for that. Check out Proverbs, 31 chapters, 31 days in a month, one per month. Read through that book 12 times a year. You might have to catch up in February and those other months, but you've got this. Or you want to grow and deepen your faith in Christ. God's word will teach you how to do that. You want to know what it looks like to raise godly children. Read Genesis. It will tell you how not to do that. And then read Proverbs. And it will tell you how to do that. And then read about the life of Solomon. And again, it will tell you no, how not to do that. God's word will equip you. Some of you are like, man, I wish I knew how to pray. Great! Great! Read all the songs. Read what Jesus has to say about prayer in Matthew 6. Some of you are like, gosh, what does it look like to truly forgive? Glad you asked. God's word will equip you for that. Look at Jesus and what he does. Some of you are going, what what does it even look like to be a follower of Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Open up the gospels. Just read them one page at a time. God's Word will teach you how to do everything you need to do. You know, so many of us, we want to know God's will for our life, right? God, what is it that you have for me? Who is it that you're calling me to be? Did you know that the vast majority of that information you're looking for right here ready to equip you here's the last reason this one's especially for parents or those who aspire to be parents but i want to backtrack for a moment go back to verse 14 he says but as for you timothy continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the scriptures. He is compelling Timothy to reflect both on what he has learned, but namely who he's learned it from. Do you know who he learned it from? Not Paul. If you go back to the beginning of 2 Timothy, in verse 5 of chapter 1, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother. Timothy is a third generation follower of Jesus because he had a mama and a grandmama that were thoroughly acquainted to the scriptures and taught their children the same thing. I told you that I had one of those moments this past week where the Lord just kind of convicted my heart, was like, hey, kind of, you know, just had a word with me. The Lord does this. It's so good. He's just like, let me pull you aside here, Zach. Okay, I got the, you might want to write this down here. And here's what I was just struck by. I felt like the Lord just said to me through when I was reading his word. You know what, Zach? Okay, you're a pastor, and, and you have to shepherd all of these people that that I've given you. But the most important job you have in your life is shepherding your family. That... that, that that if by God's grace somehow our church grew to some thousand odd people, two thousand people, people getting saved left and right and baptized left and right and my kids are all walking away from the faith. Those of you who have kids, you get this. What a waste. I, I, I missed it. And I, I would completely miss it. And I'm just reminded of, gosh, the most important job i have for the rest of my life the most significant thing that i can do period is to raise my children up in such a way where they have a personal relationship with jesus christ and walk with christ and the way i love and serve my wife is a big part of that I don't know about you, Melissa and I. Maybe we're too young for this. Now, she's getting older. She's almost forty, so not me. Gosh, i much younger. I'm only thirty-five. We got a long way to go. But her, anyways, we talk about our grandkids, and we think about that—not that, th- that third-generation legacy. And Timothy is being reminded by Paul. What an impact his mom and grandmother had and how they were the ones that showed him the scripture. Why should you read your Bible each and every day for the rest of your life, especially parents? Because you have kids that are watching. I don't know about you, But after I graduated, I started reading my Bible for basically one reason alone. I saw my grandfather do it, and I saw my mom do it, and I saw my dad do it. That was enough for me to start the habit. Kids are watching. Let's lay that legacy out. Let me end by just giving you, in the fastest way possible a few brief tips of how to do this successfully. So hopefully you're sitting here going, that's it, yep, New Year's resolution. I got this. Read the Bible each and every day. Four or five quick things. How to be successful. Here's what you need to do. Pick a Bible. Seems simple enough. Pick a Bible. And don't just pick any Bible, right? My recommendation is pick up a study Bible. Pick up a study Bible at the bottom of every single page on a study Bible are going to be these little notes or little commentary on the verses that you read above. Have you ever read your Bible and you're like, that made no sense at all that ever happened? That's what the study Bible is there for. At the bottom of the page, it goes, yeah, I got you. I know you're confused. Here's what's going on. Here's the background. Here's the insight. Also, in a study Bible, you will find before every book of the Bible, there's an introduction to that book that will give you all the background that will help you understand way better what you are reading. So you might come to 2 Timothy, and at the beginning of it, there's an introduction, kind of an overview, and it tells you like, oh, there's this guy named the Apostle Paul. He's the one that wrote it. He also wrote these other books. He's writing to this guy named Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's on death row. It's about 80 65. It will, it will lay out stuff, and all of a sudden, it will make way more sense. So pick a Bible, and I recommend a study Bible. I prefer ESV. It's the most literal translation, but that's, you can, NIV. Those are all good. Pick a plan. Pick a plan, right? Pick a reading plan. Now, I'll, listen, imagine if you read through God's Word this whole year just go big, yo. Just go big, right? Go big. I recommend a reading plan through the Bible that is not chronologically, because then you get to the Gospels in September. That can be challenging. Go. You might want to write this down. It's called Read Scripture. Very simple. It's an app on your phone. It will give you a reading plan. It gives you these incredible videos from the Bible Project. Very helpful, and the readings are scattered. That's a psalm a day, and then you typically get something from the New Testament, something from the Old Testament. So, pick a Bible, pick a reading plan, pick a time in which you are going to do this. If I had time to do this, I would share with you all these different research studies that have been done to for, for people. And the difference between them picking a time to do something and them saying they're going to do it, but they don't pick a time. It's literally, you're like 3,000 times. No, no joke. 3,000% more likely to do something if you set the time to do it. So set a time. So I know whatever day of the week it is, what time I'm in God's word. The next is this. Pick an environment. I initially said pick a place. I literally have three places in which I will read God's word. One of three places where I'll do it. I will not do it in bed. Tried that. Fall asleep. Doesn't work. I, I don't do it on a couch. Just you sink way too low. It doesn't work. So I have a chair I, or at the office or sometimes I'll do it at Starbucks. I put on some nice headphones, noise canceling. Sometimes I want you to listen to music. It's just my way of saying, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm, just, you know, I'm having one of these moments, right? So pick an environment, right? And then pick up a pen and a journal. Pick up a pen and a journal and just write down the things that God is teaching you as you go. And then here's the last piece. Guys, unfortunately, it just kind of comes down to discipline, like to do this. Unfortunately, it just comes down to, you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta step up and do it. And there's certain habits in our life that when we begin them, they feel like duty, right? Just absolute duty. I got to eat better. I got to exercise. I got to read or whatever it is. It feels like a duty. And then after a while, sometimes it's day 21, sometimes it's day 128, it all of a sudden goes from duty to delight. The bridge between duty and delight is discipline. Just do it. And I want to compel you to do that. And just see what God does over this next year. When you commit to Him each and every day, a time where you dive into His Word. Let me pray for us. Father, we just we, we thank You for Your Word. What a gift, what a blessing. God, would you compel us to be in your word each and every day? Lord, some of us, maybe we need a partner, a friend, accountability to help us be in the word each and every day. God, would you give us what we need to create this discipline of being in your word each and every single day. And we know that you will be at work in us and through us because of it. Pray this in your name. Amen.